Hey y'all, this is Unbound Love. The meandering conversation of two pastors. I am Gail. And I am Kelly. And um, today our topic is, um, I want to say one of our favorite topics, but maybe that's not true. Um, But it is drinking. Drink, drink. (laughs) Um, (laughs) um, You know, it's one of those things that frequently in the the tradition that I grew up in, in the, the church that I grew up in, the family that I grew up in, where... Um, drinking was a major no-no. You are going to hell if you touch a drop of alcohol. And um, so I, I did not grow up in a, a drinking uh, environment. Um, and I did not, um, you know, it was a real break for me when I was in college. And I went to a Christian college where alcohol was grounds for dismissal. So they caught you drinking, you're out of school. Um, And so, you know, it was not a part of that culture. Uh, It was not a part of that culture in the administrative kind of way. But, you know, always there's the underground culture. Um, And so, you know, I learned how to hide it behind books and, you know, whatever. But still, it's not a major thing in my life. Drinking alcohol is something that I rarely think of. Um, although I do talk about it a lot, um, but it's not something that I actually do a lot of. Um, but I don't think that it's sinful. What about you? Well, I grew up in the Baptist church, and we know Baptists don't like to admit that they drink, even if they do. <laughs> um, but in my household, there wasn't really drinking. I mean, there was occasionally with my grandfather, there was like wine on a special birthday. That was normally like a glass of wine. My father tells a story of when he drank when he was a little boy he tasted a sip of alcohol and he has never tasted anything since because he thought it was vile so there was no drinking in my household however i grew up in a beach town on an island Mm. and that was part of our socialization our life experience and then i went i started i went to several colleges it's a story for another day, but I started at East Carolina University. Oh, that's a party school. Yes, Playboy named it the number one party school in the country at one point while I was there. <laughs> so drinking was the culture at my college. In fact, it was more of the culture than academics. Um, but I too, although I talk about it a lot, it's not a big aspect of my life. And I am unfortunately a two to three drink limited person. <laughs> But um, but in our tradition, we have some interesting rules about that. We do have some interesting rules about that. And I, I think that, so, so I kind of want to back up to why, how we end up with this idea that alcohol is of the devil and that it is uh, uh, an issue. And, and it really is this puritanical um, idea that comes over you know, on the Mayflower, it comes over with the Puritans, it comes over, um, you know, in, in the 1600s, the 1500s, it comes over from Europe, uh, these people who are fleeing some religious, religious freedom, uh, they're coming to a new world, but they want to lock it down. And um, I think that we see that throughout our, our U.S. history. Um, and, and I think that church history a lot of times follows or maybe human history follows church history. I'm not sure which is the chicken or which is the egg. But um, I think that they do kind of uh, parallel each other in a lot of ways. And so you see this puritanical idea that comes uh, across 
uh, with the new people who are settling here. And I'm not sure that the United States has ever moved away from a lot of those ideals. No. In fact, it's when I went to school in um, Spain and it's a lot different over there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, it's a lot different if you're in any European countries. And to understand their history, I mean, they came from even up until right before the Reformation, actually, that was the beverage that you drank. I mean, caffeine coffee was introduced right around the Reformation, which explains a lot. Um, mm-hmm. But up until then, wine was the safest beverage to drink. Ale, beer, was the safest beverage to drink. And still, when I was in like Barcelona, Toledo, it was cheaper to get a Happy Meal from McDonald's with a wine than a water or a soda. And it was still part of that culture, but was so different from our American culture because there you might have like a glass of wine that you don't even finish at lunch and then another one at dinner. And even when you went out in the evenings drinking, although for, you know, I mean, I was in college, so for college kids, maybe it was something, but drinking across the board wasn't. Whereas here you go out to drink and drinking becomes two to three to five beverages and kind of a, a totally different viewpoint. But I do agree that we still hold on to this idea of purity. And possibly it's not a bad thing to think about the dangers of alcohol. I mean, I, I don't think it's a sin, but I do think that we have to actually look at how it affects certain people. And so maybe... There's a place in between. Well, so, so I think that's an interesting point. I want to back up to to this idea of the safest drink. Um, because I think that we, uh, Americans, who have grown up in a culture where clean water mm-hmm. is readily available, where uh, we don't think about sanitation of, of water, uh, and we just turn on that tap and it gives us clean water, Um, We have had access to uh, clean beverages, no matter what that is. I mean, you know, I'm sitting here with my diet caffeine-free Mountain Dew, which is completely, like, makes no sense to anyone. But yet, I'm drinking it because it's, you know, I I don't consider is this safe or not. Whether or not Mountain Dew is safe is a whole other conversation. But um, I don't think of, you know, how is it going? It's not going to make me sick. But in... The Middle Ages, in in a lot of the European countries, in a lot of the world today, uh, clean drinking water is not necessarily something that's readily available. And so, you know, having gone through the uh, distilling process or through the the brewing process um, of making it into wine, making it into um, an ale, makes it safe. And safety is something that you don't really think about when you think about alcohol in our in our culture today. You don't think, oh, I'm drinking this because it's safe. You're thinking, I'm drinking this because it's alcohol. Um, but I agree with you that there's a, a fine line between this is a safe beverage and this is a problem. Mm-hmm. And um, I struggle. I struggle with sometimes seeing alcoholism as um, an illness um, because it feels very self-inflicted to me. I think like anything, and 
we can cross into any kind of thing that changes your body's ability to deal with the world. I think um, when you have trauma, when you come from certain backgrounds, when you have possibly this makeup, I think anything that allows you to escape, if that is the primary use of it, it's a problem. And that can be anything from beer to religion. I mean, so we see and and we have this, if you have that addictive place inside of you, and I am talking about like that need to find something outside of you to fill you up, to allow you to escape, to allow you to be comfortable. And that comes from a number of things. It could come from chronic pain. It can come from trauma. It can come from just that's how you were raised. I think alcohol plays very easily into it because it is so readily available and it is in America and around the world in many places, it is a normal thing to do. Like seeing someone at a bar having a bunch of drinks is normal. Um, So it feeds into that ability for you to fall in deeper into that addiction. Um, But I don't think it's sinful, even if it's an addiction. I think it is a, a problem. And we as Methodists, address that we address that very eloquently i think um and are constantly working on that in our book of discipline because we acknowledge in our book of discipline that we are not abstinent forced abstinent from alcohol or many drugs for that matter but we do recognize that it's a problem and we need to think choose abstinence when we can and we're not choosing it because it's a sin to drink. We're choosing it because there may be people in our church family, in our congregation, in our vicinity that it is a problem for. And it goes back to that thing we seem to talk about every podcast, loving our neighbor mm. and accepting that it is a problem for them. And that's a very complicated place to be, to say you're allowed to do it, but then we have to do it with a humble look at what it actually means for those around us. I think that, that that's so many things that we, in, in our lives, so many things in life in general, you know, um, there are people, so I am told, who can eat all kinds of sweets and they don't gain weight, you know, and they can eat in excess and they stay skinny and they stay healthy and they their body processes that in a way that mine doesn't. And, um, you know, so... Uh, being mindful of what is a difficulty for someone else and making it so that we can all live um, as well as we can, I think is important. And, um, you know, so back to alcohol. I mean, alcohol is used for so many, so many reasons to self-medicate. My, my spouse is an educator and conversation actually just yesterday uh, where um, it was said in her class um, and I believe she's the one who said it, you know, like alcohol used to be used, um, for medicinal purposes for people in pain, for, you know, for surgery, for whatever, um, alcohol used to be used. And one of the students, um, said it still is. And, you know, there's the pause on that. Um, because yes, it still is not by medical doctors. 
um, that is no longer a medical practice, um, as it was at varying times in history, but um, it still is used by people as a means of, um, of medicating themselves, self-medicating to, to take care of whatever mental illness, whatever physical ailments, chronic pain that is going on. And how do we, how, how do you, you um, demonize that? Um, I think is a big question that comes up in our society. How do we demonize so many things? Like we make it this horrible thing that others are doing when really they're just trying to survive. We also have this weird traditional side to drinking. Mm -hmm. And as Christians, it is integral in our scriptures. I mean, if we look back to our um, Jewish and Israelite siblings, it was part of their practice of faith. I mean, we see the very first miracle of Jesus is that turning water into wine. Like, we can't drink the water, but we do have to close the wedding with wine. And there's many reasons he did that. But the main reason is because it was the way they thanked God. It's when they raised toast and prayers to God, having a glass of wine was a big part of that. So it comes from our Christian tradition, bleeds into communion. It... You know, it bleeds into many other things. And then you have these Christians who pull it out and and make it a sin. And that just creates more complications on complications. You see wine used throughout the Bible. You see wine used through early church history. And then I think sometimes, and I'm going to process this as I'm saying it, I think sometimes when we make something a sin that wasn't a sin during our scriptures, it creates more of a problem. I think saying you can't do this, kind of like that parenting technique saying you can't do this, makes people more drawn to doing it. So, you know, so again, I grew up in the tradition where drinking was taboo. That's the word I'm going to use. Um, and, you know, like I, I can remember questioning that. You know, Jesus turned the water into wine. Um, so obviously drinking was not an issue for Jesus and being told, no, that was really just grape juice. Um, and, and, you know, I'm like, oh, the lies that you get told as a child. Yes. Um, so anyway, I just want to throw that out there. Um, because I think that, that sometimes we do lie to each other and lie to ourselves for what is, um, what really is in the scripture and what is not in the scripture. I don't, I don't think Jesus had a problem. I mean, there's the scripture that says that people thought that Jesus and his disciples were just a bunch of drunkards mm-hmm. who were out partying all the time. And I'm just like, okay, so maybe heaven's not going to be as boring as we all think. Oh, <laughs> uh, because that's one of those things that I've always worried about, you know? Like, I worried about as a kid. Like, oh, how boring is heaven going to be? I'm just going to have a harp sitting on a cloud, you know? Like, who wants to do that? Um... And so, like, maybe I don't want to go to heaven. Um, so, you know, if Jesus is out partying with his friends all the time, maybe it's just not going to be as boring as we think. And it, I'm, I'm picturing you playing the harp, and I just don't see you happy at that moment. You see? See? I wouldn't be happy in heaven just no. playing a harp. No, I'm not a harp player either. Um, but I, and, and I agree. I think... The funniest thing for me, too, is we have this, which Gail does with Fervor, this um, 
ability to go into places like taverns and bars and pubs and reach people. And um, recently, you know, I went before my church because I was thinking about doing a Bible study in a bar similar um, to reach out to single people in our area. And it was a, I thought it was a great idea. I had the connection with the bar and, um, and my church passed it. It was okay, but there was a controversy. Like, why are you going there? And I had to bring up the fact that Charles Wesley, our found one of the founders of our Methodist faith and one of the writers of many of the hymns we sing actually went into the pubs and bars and that is where they spread God's word that's where our hymns come from the idea of this Mary singing comes from the pubs at the time that was the local gathering spot and so for me it's kind of strange but I find myself reaching out and connecting with people more in a bar than I do the people reaching people in our church because so many people are unwilling to come through the doors to our church but they're very willing to stop at a bar, whether they're drinking or not, to hang out with friends. And so it's a strange place because I also want to reach people who don't want to go to bars. But in our area, that is a gathering spot. That is the watering hole. And like any good Christian who wants to go out and serve others and connect with others, I want to be at the gathering hole, not at the place that they're not allowed in or they're not coming in. So... Charles Wesley, Jesus, maybe they had it right. Maybe we do need to be willing to step into those spaces and throw back a drink or two. Yeah, I think that's one of the joys of, of uh, beer and hymns, you know, uh, which is something that we've been doing. I think it's getting ready to start. There's, we're getting ready, ready to celebrate our seventh anniversary of beer and hymns in our area. Um, but, you know, it's the joy um, and it's one of the things that often gets said at Beer and Hymns. You know, if you grew up in the South, which I did, but hymns are kind of the songs that we all know. It's what you grew up with. It's, it, these are these joyous songs that we sing together. And um, I attended a, a presentation, it's probably been three or four years ago now, uh, that talked about, like throughout history, how people have sung together. And it is something that we as Americans no longer do. We don't sing together. Um, we sing individually. We sing, but but large gatherings singing together is not something that is done any longer. Uh, you find it in churches, some, but even a lot of churches are moving away from singing together, and it's much more of a performance. And, uh, and so pairing that, you know, these songs of singing together with beer that creates community and community is church and i can't think of a better explanation for church than community that comes together blends their voices together uh, in whatever way uh, that brings us together across political divides across um, all kinds of divides that we artificially put on each other but we show up whether we drink or not sing together enjoy each other's company and that is church. I'm picturing game day at the bar where you have two teams and you see everyone's dressed in their team colors and they're cheering and they're screaming and they're okay with being connected to each other. And they're even laughing, even though there's a little bit of like that back and forth, there's not animosity and anger. There's joy in that feeling. 
And I'm also picturing in our area, like if you start something like Sweet Caroline or Wagon Wheel. Mm-hmm. Like, no, not Wagon Wheel. Yeah, please Ain't not Wagon song. Wheel. Me too. But <laughs> <laughs> when you start, you see everyone in the bar singing. Sure. And, and people say it's because people are drinking, but there's a lot of times I'm not drinking. And I'm still singing. Even if it's a song that I don't like, mm-hmm. because there's something about being in that place where it's relaxed and comfortable. I wish church sometimes could be more of that place. Yeah. I wish we could sit and talk and have a more comfortable presence with each other, especially with the stranger that walks in. One of my favorite things about beer and hymns is, you know, when I've been there and we've seen kids and families there that were just eating and didn't know what was happening. And then all of a sudden they're going up to the book and picking out songs. Yeah. And then we're stopping so they can rev motorcycles in the background. But it's all part of this. We're all here together. It's not about me. It's not about you. It's about us here together. And perhaps drinking allows us, the pub idea allows us to do that more. My only problem is there is a part that's excluded from that. We do have, and in our area, we have people who are doing outreach to this community specifically, but we do have people who don't feel safe coming into a bar. In fact, in our LGBTQIA population, we had a discussion because they wanted to have these meet and greets, and there are several people who struggle because of the trauma, struggle with alcohol. So, it's hard. It's very hard to find a place as a pastor where everyone can come together and everyone's comfortable and okay. It really is. And the thing that I, that I keep coming back to in that is like, we are we are traumatized in some way, mm-hmm. especially post pandemic. Uh. Can we can we say we're post pandemic? Especially uh, in the midst of this pandemic, or or as this pandemic is is happening, I think that we all feel trauma. And some people are traumatized by being in a church building. Some people are traumatized by being in a bar. Mm -hmm. Some people are traumatized by, you know, wherever you go. There are all these places that are triggering. And sometimes it's very personal triggering. And sometimes it's a collective triggering. But there are so many places where, um, where we have to make space. In so many different places, mm-hmm. so that so many different people can find a place where they are safe, and where they are loved, and where they can come and worship however they need to. And sometimes I think that is with alcohol. Sometimes I think it doesn't have alcohol. Sometimes I think that there's a mixture of somewhere in in mm-hmm. the in the the middle of that. But how to find that space? I think is is maybe the biggest challenge as a pastor, maybe the biggest challenge as the church, is to continually be looking for that space that is creating uh, room for everyone. It is. I think that kind of goes back to our rules as Methodists for drinking. Mm. We say, it's okay if you drink, but in Methodists, we're not focused on whether you're drinking or not. We're more focused on making sure things like free, inexpensive, like help is available for those who have a problem with alcohol. Making sure that there are laws to keep underage people from drinking. Um, Just because we don't, we feel that at a a young age it's very hard to handle something like the feelings of alcohol. 
Um, and we see that that triggers future alcoholism if you start very young. Um, and we're more focused on making sure that if something is available, that we create spaces that are safe for those who it harms. And I think that is one of the beauties of our rules around drinking because we understand that it's not saying no, but just saying let's create different spaces, which can be frustrating sometimes, but let's create different spaces and is why we don't use wine at our communion. We use that Welch's grape juice most of the time. (laughs) Sometimes we use those little communion to-go packs, which are horrible, but we don't use wine because even that little bit could trigger someone. So we're not doing it because it's sinful to use it. We're doing it because we're respecting those other people. And I think that's a brilliant thing that we've done. I see the Baptist church struggling with it so much. And then what I saw in my ministry in the Baptist church is when people had a problem with alcoholism, because it was such a sinful thing, they were hesitant to come talk to the pastors. They were hesitant to bring it up with the church. And they hid it long from the church because, and they even hid if they were drinking from the church. So it created, in the Methodist church, it creates an open space for us to discuss it and talk about it and educate each other on it. Whereas when it's shut down completely, it doesn't create a space for healing if someone does have a problem. Hmm. One of the cool things that I found for Church on Tap and I can't wait till we can get back to using it because we're using the little Lunchables right now and the communion oh. Lunchables. Ugh, I hate them. And yet I love them all at the same time. Mm-hmm. Like I'm very thankful for them. Yes. Um, because through the pandemic, it has given us the ability to continue to do communion together. And I think that is so important. Uh, but a cool thing that I found for Church on Tap pre-pandemic uh, was a chalice that ha- has a divider down the middle. And so I put, you know, uh, white grape juice on one side and uh, red wine on the other side and um, so you can easily tell which is which oh, and um, so you, you can here's the chalice and we use intention which is dunking the bread in and uh, so people can choose uh, which they want to have uh, whether it is you know the grape juice or whether it is the wine but it 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 makes that table open Mm-hmm. to whichever way feels right to you. And I think that that is, um, that is a part of being the church and that is a part of being the body of Christ is that we make room for all of the people who, who want to come to come in the way that feels right to them. So I'm going to get personal here. Yeah. <laughs> like um, just kind of go on another direction because, you know, we're meandering. Yep. Um, I'm a gin drinker and a wine drinker. Um, and I have occasionally when it's a really good bottle of wine, been with friends and had a few drinks more than I probably should have. I normally know my limit and most of the time I just want to go to sleep. So it's not fun, (laughs) but I do find after about two drinks, those inhibitions (laughs) loosen and I have occasionally regretted. Something that I said three, especially if I hit that third drink, something that I said, the way I approached something, um, because I wasn't clear headed. And the problem, the problem with being a pastor, that sounds bad, but the problem with, with being in the position of a pastor 
is that if you are not thinking clearly, you never know when a moment's going to present itself where you can be in service to someone. And so when I'm at a bar, unlike when I'm at in the backyard with friends, that's a little different. But when I'm at a bar, I tend to hold back. I tend to set a limit for myself because should someone come up to me in that moment that recognizes me from church or knows that I'm a pastor or just needs you know, crosses my path for some reason. I, I don't want to be so outside of my head that I can't answer that in the appropriate way. And that's a difficult place to walk because I often end up being the, D, the DD, the designated driver for the evening. And I often end up, especially if it is something where church members are, I often end up not drinking because, not because I think drinking's bad, but because I don't want to be in a moment where I could share God's love with someone and just be too fuzzy headed to do it. Do you ever find yourself in those spaces? So I, I rarely drink outside of my home. Mm-hmm. Um, having said that, that is, this, that is not true. Um, so, um, <laughs> so I'm going to back that up and say, um, so I'll have a beer at Church on Tap, mm-hmm. um, and uh, my spouse and I like to do what we call Food Truck Friday. Uh, food trucks are usually at a brewery, and I will go and have a beer usually, mm-hmm. um, but usually it is a beer. Um, not to you know, and I'm having it with a meal, so I don't feel any difficulty with getting myself home. Or and my spouse doesn't drink beer, and so that's really not ever an issue. Um, so there's always someone who can drive. So, so I guess the short answer to that is not, not really, no, um, because I don't drink hard liquor anywhere because I'm cheap, um, and it's way too expensive to drink it uh, somewhere other than my house. Um, so, you know, when it comes to, to drinking any kind of, of hard drink liquor, um, and usually one beer is good enough for me. Like, I really don't want a second one. Occasionally I do, but usually not. Um so don't ever find myself in that situation where I think, oh, am, am I going too far? Mm-hmm. Um, because it's just kind of not a thing for me. Um, again, I talk a lot about drinking, but I don't really do a whole lot of drinking. Um, I like to have a lot of variety in alcohol uh, and try a lot of different stuff, but uh, I mostly just forget. Like, I for, you know, oh, I'm going to have a drink tonight, and then, you know, I get to the end of the night, and I'm like, oh, crap, I totally forgot. I forgot I was going to do that. Because, um, like, I had to plan and think about the fact that, oh, this was something that I want to do, and then, well, you know, the day just got away from me, and I didn't get it done. Isn't yeah. that kind of a weird way yeah. to think about drinking? Like, I just didn't get, like, I, it didn't fit in my schedule. I think sometimes... I do kind of the same thing. Like I, I go out going like if I've gone to like we have a new bar or a distillery. I do like visiting places. I like seeing. I love we have speakeasies here. I like visiting speakeasies and distilleries. We've done that together, yeah. um, and seeing how it's created. I like the taste and the smell and the different ways that it's put together. I like how cocktails are created. Um, I tend to. I'm the same way. One maybe two drinks is my limit outside. And I've done the same thing before, too. I've gone and sat down with a meal and been like, oh, I was going to drink. Or sometimes I'll start talking and forget I have a drink there. Mm. But I love the way, I, I will say, I love the ministry that happens also 
And I've been thinking about this a lot recently on the other side of the bar too. Mm. One thing I like doing is when I'm sitting at the bar, you know, I'm talking to friends, we're having a drink, but I think that sometimes the bartenders are just as big of a minister as I am. Mm-hmm. Because I watch them creating these beautiful cocktails and talking about that and using that as a way or talking about beers. Like we have a lot of breweries here and talking mm-hmm. about beers are made and kind of connecting with people on that level. And then the next thing I know, the person's telling them, oh, you know, I just broke up with someone or my kid's going through this. And then they become almost the therapist or the minister in that moment. And sometimes it's interesting to watch as I'm watching them create their craft cocktails them doing ministry without sometimes maybe even realizing they're doing ministry because it is sitting at the bar where you're comfortable talking to a stranger maybe the stranger is a little more intoxicated than you and they're comfortable talking to you where if I'm clear enough headed I can find moments that I can spread some love and I can watch bartenders spread some love too so I'm going to do a shout out to all of our bartenders not for the great well for the great drinks they make but also for the work they do yeah so I'm an introvert, mm-hmm. um, and so I don't I don't spend a whole lot of time going out to bars because in my off hours, um, I generally don't want to be around people. Um, not that I don't love people, because I do love people, but um, they drain me, and so um, frequently I'm like, yeah, I don't I, I'm not up for going out because that doesn't energize me. That just drains me even more. Um, so I don't spend a whole lot of time in bars. Um, so, but. Um, I have a dream, and um, someday I'm actually going to play the lottery, and I'm going to hit it. And when I do, um, this is my dream, is to create um, a church on tap that is actually its own bar. Um, That is its own, I don't know if it's a distillery or a brewery or whatever, but it's a building. It's a space that is church on tap. And... um, the bartenders will all be pastors and the church will happen all the time um, because when people come in and they're enjoying whatever cocktail they're having or whatever uh, brew they're having or whatever um, that ministry is happening because I agree with you Mm -hmm. that bartenders uh, end up being that for so many people and not from a spiritual standpoint, but just in a, a therapeutic standpoint, mm-hmm. in a place that, that is safe to talk or feels safe to talk or where the inhibitions are down and um, the need for that human interaction and that human sharing is so real in that place. Mm-hmm. And I think that people with theological education that people who have the ability to care and to uh, walk alongside and to be with people, I mean, that's what pastors do. And to be able to do that in the space that is um, non-threatening, that isn't um, traditional, I think it's so important. And so if I ever hit the lottery, you can look for that. Um, because that would be exactly what I would spend my money on is creating this space and you know it could be a part-time gig it could be a whatever gig um, for um, like I don't know how to be a bartender um, but I I certainly can learn 
um, how to mix up some specialty drinks, and uh, how to talk to people and to be there with people. Two things. One, I have seen you do some specialty drinks. I listened to you describe <laughs> setting fire to things and whatnot. It's so cool to set fire to stuff. <laughs> Involving alcohol and drinking it. Um, but also, we have this thing in the Methodist church called New Expressions, New Faith Expressions. Mm. So I want to be there when you propose that <laughs> down the road. <laughs> You're like, okay, guys, here's what I'm thinking. I, I need that funding <laughs> for this. So, so... So Church on Tap occasionally gets um, uh, referred to as a, a new expression um, for in the Methodist Church, and, and I very quickly say like like this is something I do outside the Methodist Church, like this is not something that comes under the the big tent umbrella of the Methodist Church. This is something that is completely outside of that. Um, not that I would be upset if we brought it in, but because the Methodist Church has its thing about you know we don't do alcohol in the church. I'm not sure that would ever happen, no, no. Um, but I'm 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 perfectly okay with it being outside of, uh, outside of the the, the 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 parameters, and being something um, that you know. I think that sometimes we think of church as, how's the church going to support itself? How's the church going to make money? And it's very easy for the church to become so concerned with how it's going to make money, how it's going to pay its bills, how it's going to. Uh, be self-sustaining that we forget to be the church um and i think that that's a major problem that goes on in so many churches um and i don't know a a bar seems self-sustaining and uh, you know it does i i left when um i left the baptist church before i found my way to the methodist church i opened a coffee shop and I, and I had to learn. I had to learn how to make coffee, how to make all these drinks. But it was a place where I did probably just as much ministry as I've done in my churches. Maybe even more. Because I had a group that started gathering there every morning. Groups that gathered there every afternoon. I had tourists that came through. So it, it was. So I see that ability for a bar. And we do pub theology. We do church on tap. I mean, several churches are doing that across the country and around the world. And I think it's working. Um but I do see it is self. It is something that that supports itself. I, I like that idea. You can't have it as mine. Oh no, I'm just. Gonna, I like it because I want to come. I I ran a coffee shop. I found out I don't want to run a business, so I just want to come with you and hang out and actually get some pastoral care while I'm there. That's what I'm hoping for. <laughs> you know, and I, and I think that that for a lot of pastors, that that pastoral care does come in the time that we. Um, sit down and yes. and um, have a beverage together, or break bread together, or um, just spend that time. But but I think that that's true for for everyone. Like so much of our spiritual formation, um, formation might not be the word I'm looking for. So so much of our spiritual life mm-hmm. comes in these times and spaces where. It's not in a church building. It's not in a church um, setting. It's not a church group in the traditional way that we think of church. Um, And I think that, unfortunately, there are a lot of people who think, oh, this isn't church. Yes, this is exactly church. When we get together and we love each other and we support each other and we um, encourage each other to do something that makes us better, Absolutely, that is church. 
John Wesley, didn't he say something about the world is my parish? Absolutely. So we, we are all about the world. The world is our church. The yeah. world is our parish. And so that that's something we take with us. Now, I, I do have a slight problem with going to bars as a pastor because I am single. Mm. <laughs> and so the, um, the other side, this is why I like the idea of a church bar because maybe this wouldn't be such a thing. When I do go and sit with friends at a bar, being single, there also is that complication of being hit on. Mm. Generally, I can just say I'm a pastor and they walk away. (laughs) (laughs) That seems to be the easiest thing to do. But there is other, other needs that are being met in bars and other reasons people are showing up there. And so, oh, well, you can get hit on in the church too. Yes, you can. <laughs> um, you can actually. <laughs> um, but I, so it's like a combination of socializing for me because that's where a lot of my friends meet. Although we roller skate and we play putt putt and other stuff like that too, that's where a lot of my friends meet. So I, that is my place for socialization and for being with people. But it's also a place of ministry, and that's why I'm very careful when I'm drinking if I'm drinking, um, to make sure I limit it. But I also want to be seen drinking and being able to drink one drink, be seen doing that because of it shows that pastors are people in a way I'm showing, like if I walk downtown now, our church is located downtown and we have this strip that our church is on that has several breweries and bars. And it's funny how many times I'll be walking from like a bar, a brewery, coming back to the church and people are stopping me going, Pastor Kelly, Pastor Kelly, and come over here, sit with us because I am out in the world. And something about me having one drink with someone or them seeing me having one drink lets them know that I'm a human being, that I'm not this elite person above them. And so I enjoy being a normal person to them. I think it normalizes me a little bit. Um, And I think that's an important thing for pastors to do, not to be uppity and righteous and holier than thou, but to be an average everyday person so that you're approachable. And perhaps hanging out in a pub now and then, I really, I don't do it that much. I talk like I do, but I don't really do it that much. But I think being in there now and then, especially in the neighborhood or the parish that you're serving is important. I think the other thing that normalizes, and maybe this is a different podcast, but you know, I, I I'm not opposed to um, dropping an f bomb or um, um, you know having some uh, some language that is often one of those things that also is taboo, and you don't do that because it's a sin. And I personally believe that God owns all the words, and really has no issue if you're using them appropriately. Um, because I think there are times when, when God also wants to be like, what the, you know, um, I mean, WT yeah. fuck is a real thing, right? And so, I mean, I think that sometimes God just looks down and goes, WT fuck. And, um, <laughs> probably, <more than> so, <laughs> <laughs> probably way more than we realize. And, and so I think that that is one of those things that also normalizes, um, and humanizes, uh, I, I don't know that I can go so far as to say normal, but um, humanizes that that we are all just human. And um, there's not this holier than thou 
um, thing that really it should be. Mm-hmm. I, I won't say that it isn't, but it shouldn't be a part of our church walk, is that we are all in this holier than thou, and I am here and you are there. Whether you're a pastor or just a parishioner, we are all not just a parishioner because we all are, are called to our own form of ministry, but we are all um, flawed and we are all imperfectly perfect. Exactly. And sometimes when people see those flaws, see those times that you are not perfect, they connect with you more. Mm-hmm. I find I like to share that a lot, when, especially in my sermons. I generally come from a place of, this is where I screwed up, so you don't. Mm-hmm. But I also like to normalize things like being afraid, being sad, being frustrated, being confused. I like to every once in a while let my tongue go because mm-hmm. I believe that that and that we should do a podcast on that. Yeah, we should. Um, but I think that the being seen out in public is important. Now I say that, but I also have we have dear friends that are coming out of recovery, and for them, showing their flaws is also important. And it's not in a bar, but it's in a meeting or a rehab area. And I think that's also a powerful message to show that I am flawed, I am working to be better, but I am a normal person. And I think both sides of that coin are vital for us reaching out into the world instead of closing the doors to our church. And I think during the pandemic, I think that is one of the people, one of the things everyone was struggling about. I mean, I know as soon as we went to a bar, um, right when they started opening and you could go and you could take your mask off and drink and I felt a little comfortable it was an outdoor bar but I felt a little comfortable it was strange being back in that place it was like I felt like everyone was so close and so like that and it was there before church because our church didn't open to much like much later later. Mm -hmm. so it was there in that place that I started getting adjusted to being around people and then started to feel that community again the same with meetings for my friend. They were missing those meetings. They were having to do them on Zoom, and it wasn't the same. And they said the first time they went to a meeting, they actually held a meeting in their home for the first time. They said it felt like confusing, frustrating, because everyone was so close. But then they started to feel that community again. And I think when we are outside in the world, and I'm an extrovert, so <laughs> I, I feed off of people, although I do need my time at home. I think when we're outside with others and we're sharing just normal life stuff, I think that is vital to our ministry, to our love for each other, to our connection. And if you're having a drink or two, I think it's quite okay. I am. I think prohibition kind of showed us that saying abstinence to everything doesn't work. And that's another podcast. Yes, <laughs> but I think it also showed us that being responsible is important, but being human is even more important. So we're coming to the end of our time, and I I just want to be clear. So um, our our church, um, we have several AA and NA groups that meet uh, using our facility, and we did not keep them from meeting all during the pandemic because we felt that their sobriety and their need to be together and to be able to support each other was more important than any parameters we could put on safety. Um, so 
So I, I just want to say that because I think that it's important that you you see the humanity and the need of what is what is the need in this moment and how do we meet that need is really what the church needs to be doing. Um, and I also want to say that even though we're talking about drinking and even though we're um, we're talking about how it's fine and it is, um, but we also um, you know I know people have good friends who are in recovery. Um, I'm very mindful of what I am having uh, when they are there, when they are present, um, and making sure that they are okay and that they are safe um, if I am with them and that option is available, um, that uh, they have the veto power um, because I don't need it. I don't have to have it. And always making sure that the people around us um, know that and are safe, um, I think is paramount. I also want to say that we will drop some links in um, in the show notes uh, to let you know if you if you need a, uh, if you need mm-hmm. if this has uh, gotten out of control for you, if uh, you are in need of someone to talk to, you're in need of a community to walk with you. Um, we know people uh, who will do that with you and happily will make those connections for you. Because uh, I think that's always important when we talk about the fact that, yes, we have freedom. We have freedom in Christ to do uh, most anything. Uh, but a part of that freedom in Christ is that we are looking out for each other and that we are t- caring for uh, each other as we exercise our freedom. Uh, and I think this is a, a, a good thing to think about, no matter what freedom you are exercising. But if, as you are exercising your freedom, um, your rights end where someone else's begin. And you always have to think about, how am I and what I am doing affecting the people around me? And how is it being viewed by them? And how is it uh, affecting their ability to do what they need to do? It's back to that treat others as you want to be treated yeah. that that big thing jesus that bomb he dropped on all of us love others as you want to be loved treat others as you want to be treated and we need to be walking that walk and if you find that you cannot go into a space without being able to do that if you find that you cannot walk into a bar you can't walk into a meal with friends who needs you to not drink and you can't withhold follow our links like spend some time thinking about that because we as christians need to make sure that we're putting others needs ahead of our wants and hopefully soon we maybe that's another podcast to talk about and and celebrating those in recovery and how we love them as we want to be loved yeah absolutely so just a reminder, you can go on our website, which is um, unbound.love, and you can send us a message. Um, we will respond to you and let you know. You can leave us a voice message, or you can just um, fill out our contact form and send an email, uh, and we will get back to you and let you know um, whatever we can share with you, um, whatever you're walking through. But that is always available to you to reach out to us, and uh, we will follow up with you. 
My call this week is going to go out to pastors, not everybody. Everyone can check this out. But if you're leading in a church, we're going to put a link to our friend Meg's church. She started a recovery church, and I am fascinated with what she is doing. I'm hoping we can get her on here soon. But I'm going to put a link there because if you are a pastor, whether you drink or not, this is a wonderful place that she's created, and I want you to check it out this week. Yeah. We will see you all soon.